Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 247. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Man, what a week, month, year, decade it's been. And as Halloween approaches, the scariest thing this season is that we've never been this close to World War III in our lifetime. That's no trick. That's the real deal. And that's why now is most definitely a time to stay vigilant. The terrorist group Hamas unleashed pure, unadulterated evil in the world. But sadly, the Jewish people know perhaps better than anyone that there is no limit to the depravity of people when they want to inflict pain on others. In Israel, I saw people who are strong, determined, resilient, and also angry, in shock and in deep, deep pain. I also spoke with President Abbas, the Palestinian Authority, and reiterated the United States remains committed to the Palestinian people's right to dignity and to self-determination. The actions of Hamas terrorists don't take that right away. That's a clip from Biden's big speech last week on Israel and Ukraine. Only the second he's done from the Oval Office. And I think it was his best speech ever of his entire presidency. It was a brilliant, focused, righteous, and inspiring talk to the nation, to our allies, to our enemies, and to the world. It was exactly the right tone, strategy, and message. It had just the right appeal to our better angels, to our true character, diversity, and heroism as a nation, and even to our economy. It was close to perfect in its substance. The delivery unfortunately, was less than impressive, even disconcerting. The president is definitely showing his age. But this was a presidential speech that rose to this moment for the world. So well done, Mr. President. Now, for the rest of us, let's all do the right thing for Ukraine, for Israel, for Palestinians, for America, and for the world, and have our commander-in-chief's back. Whether you're a Democrat a Republican, or an independent American. We need to pass the funding for Israel and Ukraine now and overcome any in Congress who oppose it and unite to support our allies until victory over Putin and Hamas. So we need to fund the fight. Down with Putin, down with Hamas, stand with Israel, and stand with Ukraine. Because also, back in D.C. this week, we still don't have a Speaker of the House, which is an inexcusable shit show. Republicans can't put forward someone who's not a radical, insurrection-supporting election denier. The Democrats must be smoking too much of that legalized marijuana because they really think they're going to get the Republicans to accept Hakeem Jeffries. And there's no compromise. No middle. No independence to bridge the gap. And here we are. Our government paralyzed in a time where the globe is teetering on the edge of World War III, which is no exaggeration this time, especially if China decides to push that last domino and try to take Taiwan. Yeah, World War III is the scariest concept of all this Halloween season, but also a possible one. And here's what it could look like. While everyone's looking at Israel and Ukraine, China goes for Taiwan. This moment is not just about supporting Israel or supporting Ukraine. That's important, of course. But it's also bigger than that. It's about defending against the many enemies of America, including Russia and Hamas and Iran and China and North Korea and Hezbollah and ISIS and the Taliban. And don't forget about North Korea and the countless others like Venezuela and Hungary who could easily tip the other way. Yeah, that's a long list of enemies and a long list for America to try to fight at the same time while also trying to fight an American insurgency here at home led by a former president, 
propelled by extremist groups like the Patriot Front and Proud Boys, who would love to see a race, a religious war, rip this country apart and burn it all down. So they can make a play for what's left and try to create Gilead from The Handmaid's Tale. That's what could unfold if all of America's enemies move against us at the same time. Crazy? Yes. Possible? Also yes. Think it's not? Well, think about all that's happened in the last few years. From Trump being elected, to COVID, remember that? To Russia invading Ukraine, to the Hamas attack on Israel. That was all unimaginable just a few years ago. Like the idea of a few radical terrorists hijacking passenger planes full of fuel and flying them into the World Trade Center and Pentagon was unimaginable before 9-11. The 9-11 report found a big reason that 9-11 happened was due to America's failure of imagination. When a report is ultimately done in Israel, to find out how a horde of Hamas fighters was allowed to rape and murder and kidnap thousands in the largest attack on Jews since the Holocaust. It will be in part because of a failure of imagination. Just like the Holocaust that saw the murder of six million Jews itself was possible because in those early days, too many failed to imagine that it was possible. This moment, this moment in global history, is not a time to sugarcoat stuff. It's not a time to hide our head in the sand and hope for the best and lose ourselves in scrolling on Instagram or watching what the Kardashians are doing or the latest episode of The Bachelor. No, this is a time to plan for the worst because the worst is always possible. Planning for that is responsible leadership planning. It's responsible strategy. In the U.S. military as officers, when we're taught how to plan, we're taught always to plan, not for just what is probable or what is likely. We're also taught to plan for the MDCOA, the most dangerous course of action. That's what good and responsible leaders plan for, especially in national security and defense. You may never have to use that plan, but if shit gets really bad, you've got to plan for it. So, if, for example, Hezbollah fully attacks Israel from the north, and Iran does too, and we have to get out an estimated 600,000 Americans in Israel, while Putin pushes into the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, and southward into Moldova, while extremists hit American troops, bases, and embassies all around the world, while China attempts to take Taiwan while our southern border in America is overflowing with migrants, while right-wing extremist groups hit infrastructure, political leaders, pro-LGBTQ sites, Muslim people and mosques, Jewish people and synagogues, while left-wing pro-Palestinian groups hit Jewish and pro-Israel people and sites, while Biden's health continues to weaken, or he gets very sick, or even dies, while Trump is found guilty, goes to jail, but still gets the Republican nomination. While America and the world are on fire, we will be in some very deep shit. Maybe it's unlikely that all that will happen, but it's not impossible. It's the most dangerous course of action, and we must not fail in our ability to imagine it and to plan for it. Because now, more than ever, World War III is possible. And now, more than ever, stakes is high. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. You talking about Yeah, stakes is high. And yeah, I know, that's not exactly some uplifting shit, but it's real talk. If you need a break, the World Series starts this week, and so does the NBA, and football's been kind of amazing, but we need to come back to this pressing news and stay on it, and we need real talk always. The kind of talk we don't hear enough from our elected leaders of either party in Washington, in part because too many of our leaders lack imagination. They lack independence, of course. 
They lack intelligence. Some of them are just really dumb. They lack integrity. We could go on forever about that one. And they lack spine. And nobody embodies all that is lacking in American leadership right now more than radical Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, a.k.a. Senator Redneck, the extremist, white nationalist-loving, election-denying, insurrection-supporting, intelligence-lacking, racist-sounding, and acting hack, who, even in the middle of all this chaos, is still single-handedly holding up hundreds of military promotions to try to gaslight America into supporting his radical anti-abortion stances, injecting extremist politics into our military, opposing seven recent secretaries of defense and most of his own party to undermine our military in a time of war. Our troops are moving to the Middle East right now. Many are already there. We have two aircraft carrier groups in the Middle East already. And thanks to Tuberville, no confirmed commander of the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet still awaiting the promotion of Deputy Commander of Central Command, who oversees U.S. forces and operations in the region. So the Deputy Commanders of both 5th Fleet and U.S. Forces Central are blocked in Tuberville's hold. And CENTCOM's Deputy Director of Strategy, Plans, and Policy. Because who needs those guys in a time of war in the region, right? So, If the most dangerous course of action unfolds around the globe, Senator Redneck has ensured that our military is not at 100% readiness, which has all those enemies I mentioned celebrating. And it's why he's worthy of this song, not just weekly, but forever. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people behind me are going The military said it's going to take years to fix the mess that Tuberville's created. And yes, I've covered this a lot. Because it's bigger than just Tuberville. He embodies all that's wrong with American politics. And with America right now. And so does the inability of anyone to stop him. Voters in an election will take too long to stop him. The Republicans haven't stopped him. And the Democrats haven't stopped him. Not a single member of Congress has called on Tuberville to resign. Nobody has stepped up to stop this asshole. Until now. Our guest in this episode is someone who has finally done something. Maybe in part because he's been a guest on this show and heard our many episodes focused on it. Maybe because I've challenged him and others, publicly and privately, to be the first to do something. Well, we'll find out now more about why he's done it. And what's next? But first, we're going to take a minute to celebrate someone who's actually taking action. Hooray! I only care about the objective, stopping Tuberville. I don't care if it's a Republican, a Democrat, or one of the very few independents that initiates a plan to stop him. But I'm not surprised the person who stepped up is a guy who served in uniform, is pretty independent-minded, and is the first West Point graduate to represent the district that includes West Point. He joined us back in episode 186 in September of 2022, right after he was elected in a race with a campaign that I called a blueprint for how to win independent Americans. He's a guy who's stepping up in this moment to take action. He's the Democrat congressman from New York's 18th congressional district. He's Congressman Pat Ryan. Would pick up a gun and shoot up a crowd, trying to have fun. Now the Vegas life. I'm not surprised. It's a combat veteran, a guy who served on the IAVA board with me, my fellow New Yorker, and my friend Pat Ryan. Last week, Pat Ryan introduced legislation demanding that Tuberville lift his hold on military nominations in the midst of the Israel-Hamas war. And he's going to share more about that. It's about damn time somebody in Congress took some action. The impact of Tuberville's delays have never been clearer than right now. 
as critical components of our response to the unfolding crisis in Israel are paralyzed by Tuberville's stubbornness. Action like this is why Ryan continues to have support from vets, especially of all political sides. And it's why he won a purple district in a victory that sent shockwaves across the political world in a special election. Pat's willing to take a stand. And you'll hear him do that again in our conversation. Everyone in Congress should sign up to support Pat's legislation. But you'll find out not everyone has. Tuberville's holds continue to be radical, reckless, and damaging to our national security. And hurt our Ukrainian and Israeli allies deep in this fight right now. I've been on TV and this show talking about it for months. As I told Pat before and during our conversation, I wish he'd go even further and demand that Tuberville resign. The man I've called Senator Redneck is a disgrace to the Senate. He's embraced white nationalism and repeatedly shown he is willing to undermine our national security and hurt our troops. He's also dangerously dumb. Needless to say, Democrats can definitely do better on messaging and messengers overall. But Pat Ryan is a strong and effective outlier for his party. And if Democrats or Republicans want to attract independents like me, especially veterans, they should sound like him. It takes courage to be first, especially in politics. And Pat Ryan has again shown courage. And I'm proud to know him. And I hope that all senators and reps from both parties will follow his bold lead because our national security is at stake. And every day that Tuberville continues his asinine hold, Putin, Hamas, and all our enemies are celebrating. Courage and effectiveness is needed right now, along with imagination. This is one reason I asked Pat Ryan to be my guest way back on Independent Americans in episode 186 a year ago, and why I asked him to come back now. He's a man with courage, effectiveness, and no failure of imagination. So here's our conversation. Welcome to a time of most dangerous courses of action. Welcome to a time where we need imagination and leadership. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 247. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, the chaos continues. The war continues. The politics continues. And we're going to continue to try to bring you leaders who are in the middle of all of it and hopefully adding light to contrast the heat and to maybe bring us some hope in the scary Halloween season that is upon us and is even scarier than ever. Uh, so I'm very pleased, honored and thrilled to have a returning champion back on the program uh, congressman from the great state of New York, our friend, uh, the great and powerful Congressman Pat Ryan is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I can't believe it's been a little over a year. It's been a wild, wild ride of my first year in Congress. Um, but I, I joke with my colleagues, I shouldn't joke about this, but at least my term didn't start with a violent insurrection. So, you know, on the relative scale, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. A little perspective is good right now, especially for those of us in America that can feel a little detached from the horrors of war happening around the world. You're a great guy to bring perspective. I want to talk about everything. I want to talk about Israel. I want to talk about Ukraine. I want to talk about Tommy Tuberville. Um, I want to talk about the speaker. Um, but it was about a year ago since you joined us. You and I are, are old friends. I've known you a long time. So proud to see what you've done, especially in this last year. Um, but I'll ground us in a question I ask everybody, Pat. Where are you and how are you? I'm sitting in my office in uh, D.C. right now. We're between like literal chaos of having no speaker, which has not ever happened in the nearly 250 year history of the Congress. We're at a really dangerous, volatile point in every dimension. 
but weirdly, <laughs> despite that, I'm I'm actually good. I I'm got my feet under me. We've got a great team that we built here. We're working really hard, even amidst the kind of national chaos. We've been really focused on the district, just trying to move things forward where we can. Um, and then when those critical fights come, where uh, you know we've got to figure out both foreign policy challenges and and things in the house. We're stepping up. So I feel good. And it's awesome to be with you. Good. And the family's good. Halloween's coming. Family and kids are, are probably excited about Halloween and not really tracking on what's happening in the House of Representatives. Thankfully, yeah, my my four-year-old, who's my older of my two boys, is like beyond pumped for Halloween. I can't even describe how pumped he is for Halloween, which is so awesome, you know, as you can appreciate as a dad to see. So that keeps everything in very good perspective. <laughs> well, I, 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 you were my congressman when I lived upstate in Ulster County, and I will do a plug for the, for the area always. There's no finer place around Halloween time than your district, the Hudson Valley. It's kind of peak Halloween with the foliage and, and the history of Halloween and the all of it. So a big plug for your uh, district and for that part of, of the state. I, I can't move off of that without asking, what are the kids going to be for Halloween and what are you going to be for Halloween? Uh, so I don't know what the heck I'm going to be. I can barely figure out where I'm going to be tomorrow. But um, uh, my older is going to be a tiger again. Last year, he was a tiger. But this year, he's going to be a four-year-old tiger. That's like his... So we're trying to convince him to change it up. But he's just sticking with a classic. And he can't can't fault him for that. And my younger is not uh, able to speak yet. So we're, we're deciding he's going to be like a bat or something adorable and, you know, fuzzy and warm. <laughs> Animals are always a good fallback. This is my annual, my annual disclosure. I'm going to give our, our, our listeners a sneak preview. The kids have decided it's Mario Brothers. So uh, yes. big, big guys going as Mario, little guys going as Luigi. My wife is, of course, Princess Peach, and I'm Donkey Kong. So the reveal <laughs> will be coming up. Check social media for that. But maybe you're going to have to go as an inspired, uh, driven uh, voice of reason in Congress, because we need it now more than ever. Um, let's start with, with with the speaker situation, if we can. You know, you're a new member of Congress. You, we've talked on the show about how your race, I think, represents a model for how to appeal to independence. You brought a broad coalition of people together. You're going to fight uh, a reelection against a pretty radical right wing candidate or more than one. Um, but you have been brought there to try to be a, a peacemaker, be a leader. But we're at this point where it feels like the Republicans can't agree on a speaker and the Democrats actually think Hakeem Jeffries is going to be uh, is going to get enough votes. Um, the no shit here, Pat. What's the real path forward? You have to try to carve vision and a path forward where others can't see it. And yeah. that's where you've been great. What, what's the real path forward to get us an actual speaker in a time of war? Yeah, and we can't underestimate what the consequences of this are. I mean, both direct and immediate in terms of Ukraine. Uh, Israel, China, and Taiwan, border security as well. Uh, but but also the message this sends, and you say this all the time, our, our enemies are watching, our adversaries are celebrating. I mean, you couldn't think of a few weeks stretch in recent American history where we've done more sort of harm and damage to our credibility just at the moment where it should be strengthening and growing and, and broader. So to me, we're like the path, the speaker opportunity is, you and I have talked about this a lot. Is there a moment where we can actually change the incentive structure in DC? Can we take a true unprecedented crisis, uh, a, a, a failure of a speakership, a motion of vacate, and somehow craft like an actual bipartisan path out of this where I, I've been using this language deliberately. We stop acting like politicians and we start acting and behaving like patriots. And it's it's very hard, but what that could manifest a few different ways mechanically. It could be a few Republicans voting for either Hakeem Jeffries, who's continually had the plurality of votes. That's really hard and would be unprecedented. Or just put forward a reasonable, moderate Republican for speaker. And we are ready to do that. I mean, when you put forward a, a Jim Jordan, who's an election denier, and also, by the way, he was not passed a single bill in 16 years in Congress, like that's not a serious proposal. So I'm still optimistic that this crisis presents some opportunity for us. 
You, you said something I think on CNN that I thought was 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 powerful when you said, you know, we need like a coalition go government, right? We see that in Israel now where they're coming together in a time of war. But the reality is they're not reasonable. They're not going to do it. And you've got this insurrectionist, what I've called the Confederate wing of the GOP, this extremist group that will never you know, allow people to vote for Je- for, for, for Hakeem Jeffries. They're going to keep putting forward uh, Jim Jordan and the most likely course of action. I mean, we can all understand the most dangerous course of action, which would be no speaker for months. The most likely course of action is continued stalemate, right? Where we just keep doing this. We could do this for months, right? And and the wars could continue. China could invade Taiwan. All of that could happen. And Putin would be back there celebrating. So, I mean, how do you as a strategist plan for this? Are you planning for just paralysis for the next three months and you try to pick your spots as a leader? Because honestly, I'm not betting on you finding a moderate person that they will put forward and you guys aren't going to get Jeffries through. So the most likely scenario is this is what we've got maybe till the end of the year. I'm more optimistic than that. I think the fact that the the previous um, continuing resolution, which averted the shutdown just a few weeks ago, even though it feels like a few years ago, uh, that expires November 17th. One of the very few things I've seen work here is an actual urgent deadline like a government shutdown that would be catastrophic that wouldn't pay, for example, the 2000 Marines that are on their way or already in route to to the Eastern Med wouldn't pay all our troops would would affect folks on Social Security and Medicare. So I think that threat will be enough to at least get some kind of temporary solution addressed before November 17th. It won't be a meaningful thing, I fear, and it won't take on any of the more systemic sort of change and reform we're, we're talking about. But I don't think, I, I think that we'll be able to avert that. Um, we've seen what's so frustrating about how the House works. There will be broad bipartisan agreement on a bunch of issues, for example, funding for Ukraine. But if like if you could get that vote to the, the floor of the House, you'd have probably 300 plus folks from both parties that would support it. But the leadership, and I use that term very lightly, are so extreme that they won't allow these things to come to the floor. So what Democrats have asked for in any sort of coalition is a very reasonable request, which is if there's a bill of any kind, big or small, that has bipartisan support, just let it come to the floor and let us vote yeah, on it. But Pat, with, with all due respect, you know, this is not a time for reasonableness. And, and this is a time where there's also kind of a failure of imagination. I, I'm talking about that in, in the intro in the show. So I think we've got to get imaginative. Are there any proposals from the Democrats to put anybody forward other than Hakeem Jeffries? I mean, he can, he doesn't have the votes. Someone like you, as an example, might. So is there a scenario where the Democrats or a group of Democrats like you and others say, hey, we're not getting Jeffries through. Maybe we can get Pat Ryan through. Uh, well, you're, you're very flattering uh, in that regard. But I, I think the more likely outcome, and I this is where I actually think we can land. I think this is realistic. I think this is happening behind the scenes. A, I believe a sort of service oriented, could be a military veteran, could be someone else, but who who's built that reputation as an actual patriot um, above and beyond whatever their views are on certain issues, Republican. Ohio, I mean, they, look, they have a majority. We have that's the will of the American people. Yeah. We have to respect that. It's slim, but it's that's real. So someone who can earn that trust and respect. And there are some names that are floating. Um, Folks, you, you, some who you know, some of whom we served with, I think someone willing to step forward who would even say, look, I'm only going to do this for a year or for the remainder to, to get us through averting a shutdown, funding our allies, fighting for their lives in existential fights, and just sort of keeping, maintaining our core responsibilities and, and, and trust. That I think we're going to have another round of all these eight or nine folks that are being voted on as we speak. None of them are going to have the votes. Yep. They're all stabbing each other in the back. The knives are out. That hopefully then presents an, another opportunity after that. Um, but but your idea on, on another Democrat is certainly something I think. Yeah, I mean, do. look, it's not going to be it's not going to be a Democrat from New York City. Right. It's not like not in this political environment, but it might be a moderate Democrat from upstate New York. Someone like you. Right. I think they've got to find someone that they can start to chip away from because the calcification against Jeffries is not going to move, right? And, and I think you are the type of next generation leader that can bring forward ideas 
if there's a moderate Republican that they put forward, which doesn't even really exist anymore, it's probably going to have to be a veteran. I think this is an exact moment where we need veterans to step up. We had Pete Buttigieg on recently. I've talked to them from both sides. I think this is a, an example of where we need those patriots, but we also need the creativity and the backbone. And I want to have you on also because you actually stepped up. Not a single member of Congress has stepped up to do anything about Tommy Tuberville other than wine. Right. They go on TV and, and they bitch about it and they complain about it and they say Tommy Tuberville's mean, but nobody actually does anything to stop him from blocking you know, hundreds of military promotions. We've covered it at length on this show. So I want to applaud you for that. I, I applauded you on social media. I've put word out to the world that you were the first person to step up and you said, I'm going to try to do something about Tuberville. It's largely symbolic. But let me ask you, explain what you've done. And in fairness, explain to me why you haven't called for him to resign which is something I've been asking for everyone to do and not a single person has. Or maybe you want to do it on this show and make some news. Yeah, yeah. So what we did, uh, what I did uh, with some co-sponsors, but we we led it, was a House bill. So, you know, all this plays out mostly in the Senate, all these confirmation processes, and it's been stuck in this totally nonsensical um, sort of situation where one member can hold it back. In this case, a total jackass who's not worn the uniform, has no clue, and is just a real dangerous threat to our national security, as you've said, and many others. So what I introduced was a House bill to try to apply some pressure from the House to say, look, it, the Senate, you know, you need to, for the good of the country, especially given what's happening in, in Israel, what's happening in Ukraine, we can't go on any longer. Each day compounds the risk. So I was, I was actually hopeful <laughs> that I'd get maybe one or two Republicans to, to sign on to this, particularly those that have some national security experience, military experience, can understand how damaging this is. And we could not get a single Republican co-sponsor. I was making individual calls, personal calls, and everybody's just afraid of this sort of far-right, Trump-led backlash, where literally death threats are being made now around this to members of Congress and their families or young kids. And I mean, this echoes how fascist movements, and I don't say this lightly, but that's exactly how fascist movements have come to power um, throughout history of the world. And it's happening. Uh, it's the beginnings of it, but it's happening here. So in terms of the next step of escalation, if he doesn't act, yeah, I, I certainly would be open to, to calling for him to resign. Uh, that's a really grave thing, because I think that leaves no more <laughs> sort of negotiating room. I always try to give people some some room to do the right thing, but he's run out of runway. Uh, yeah. so I mean, you guys are, look, I mean, I, the Democrats are, are always negotiating with terrorists. I mean, this is he's a political suicide bomber who will not compromise. And he said that, he's made it clear, he's not going to give it up. So the question for you all is, what are you going to do about it? Like, you know, the Republicans have said, I'm going to do nothing about it. You're trying to take some action, but I'm going to ask every single member of Congress, what are you actually doing about it? And this is where independents like me especially get frustrated. Demo Republicans do something bad. Democrats whine about it and can't stop it. So who has signed on, Pat? I mean, you said no Republicans have signed on and we'll keep updating uh, folks about it. But has, has anybody signed on yet or offered to lead along your side in the Senate? Because we've seen uh, Senator Kelly has talked to the game. Senator Warren's talked to the game, but there's no companion bill in the Senate happening right now. No, not yet. And to be clear, and this is wonky, but a, a bill, I mean, ultimately this plays out in like the rules, which I know this is where I get frustrated too, where you tell me there's a problem and, and I want to fix it. And then someone says, well, this rule, da, da, da. but so to resolve this, it ultimately has to be fixed in the Senate rules and, and re reducing the ability for these political terrorists, as you said, to have so much power, so much sort of asymmetric power to hold things up that are so critical. So that is actually my legislation called for a lifting of the holds, but it also called for a changing of the rules so that particularly to military confirmations, we don't repeat this situation in either direction. I mean, you, you could see an extremist, I guess, in theory, in another party doing something for some other sort of uh, selfish and political reason. So um, I, I, I got it's a good point on a Senate bill. I'll, I'll reach out to folks. I mean, I know all the all my Democratic Senate colleagues have been vocal about it. But to your point, uh, they have not taken up the procedural part of it. Yeah. And look, these are extreme times. What he's doing is exceptionally extreme and it requires extreme measures. So people you know, are more concerned with 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 maybe, you know, protocol or being nice than the fact that this guy 
is blocking commanders of the naval operations that we're conducting in the Middle East right now to protect Israel. I mean, I think we have to underscore how serious this is. And if an active member of the Senate is going to undermine our national security, we got to get him out. We got to stop him, get him out. Don't let him do the work of our enemies, because I, th I think it's that extreme. And I think we're looking to the Senate to see who's going to step up. And it's also populist. I think you're going to find independents respond to this. I think Democrats want to respond to this. They want to see people fight harder. And, and it looks like right now, you know, Tuberville's taking the low road and he's winning in support of his objective. He's winning. So I hope you can break that log jam. I appreciate the fact that you've done it. A lot of members of Congress have texted me and emailed me and said, hey, you know, appreciate what you're doing out there. I said, great. Say that publicly. Do okay. something publicly. You're the one guy who did. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's you because you also represent West Point, which is important. And you understand how this impacts our community. But I think you're a person of action. So I, I appreciate that exceptionally. Um, let me ask you, related to all this, um, an underreported part of this, uh, uh, this, this unfolding in the Middle East is that American troops are being wounded. American troops were wounded in Iraq. There are consistently now drone attacks on our forces there. Yesterday, Secretary Austin says we are expecting attacks. There is very much a, a World War III scenario where attacks are happening across the Middle East on U.S. forces. Iran is involved. Hezbollah is involved. China makes a play at Taiwan. And this really unfolds. And I feel like most folks don't appreciate that pieces are already happening where American troops are being hit and wounded in Iraq. So can you talk about that specifically, given your experience? What do you know and, and, and what do you think we should be doing, most of all, to protect American troops that are in Israel, in Syria, in Iraq and throughout the region? Yeah, everything you said is right. We've been getting um, regular classified briefings. Um, I'm on the Armed Services Committee, so we've been getting these exact briefings specific to U.S. force protection of our troops across the CENTCOM region from Syria to Iraq. And now, yeah, we do have several hundred folks in an advisory role in Israel. We just saw Marine Three Star uh, sent uh, yesterday or the announcement uh, yesterday. And this is this is a very, very dangerous, specifically both the escalation from Hezbollah, which is an Iranian proxy almost under their direct control on the northern Israeli border, the rate and volume and frequency and intensity of the fire, uh, the indirect fires and rocket fires that they're launching is in and of itself unprecedented, separate from in addition to what's happening in Gaza. And then we are very concerned about the incentive structure and the initial reporting of Iran directly, but particularly their proxies, the Houthi rebels from Africa have been firing several cruise missiles that we intercepted from uh, U.S. naval assets in the region. I mean, this is when, as you said, I hope history looks back at this moment as we were danger close and we averted potential World War III scenarios, but it could also easily escalate unintentionally. Uh, and we know, I believe, Iran has every incentive to continue to escalate just below the threshold that they think would trigger us. But that's that dangerous calculus that often goes wrong, that when you study the, the start of World War I and World War II is exactly what led to the same thing. And then you layer in Ukraine and what Russia's intentions are. If we don't pass a strong a supplemental funding bill to signal both signal resolve and unity, but also provide the resources needed for Israel and Ukraine and in the Indo-Pacific, that is a that will send a devastating message um, in terms of our strength and resolve and will embolden all of these actors from Tehran to Beijing uh, to Moscow. You know, I, I think Putin's had a good couple of weeks. Um, despite the losses in Ukraine, you know, the, the chips are unfolding in ways that benefit him tremendously and is compounded by the paralysis of the American government, where not only can we not pass budgets, we can't send funding to our allies. We're, we're, we're still vulnerable to cyber attacks and plenty of other elements that are below the radar. But I, and I thought the president uh, appropriately framed up the war uh, against Putin and Hamas. You know, he said support Israel and support Ukraine, but I think we've got to flip it and say it's a war against Putin and a war against Hamas. And, and once you understand that framework, I think Americans can wrap their heads around it a little bit better. But let me ask you again, Pat, as, as a member of the Armed Services Committee, I feel like it's being lost that Americans are being held hostage right now. Um, we don't know their names for the most part. I haven't seen them in the media, and maybe there's a, a strategy behind that. Um, but Americans are right now being held by Hamas in Gaza. 
Uh, we talked to Dan Lamoth, who talked about the military forces that are likely in the region. There are likely others that we don't know about. As a member of the Armed Services Committee, as a veteran, what can you tell us about what America is doing right now to bring our own home from Gaza? I know, and I don't want to go too much into it. Uh, this is the number one, two, and three priority right now. We have exactly the people that you would want and hope and expect focus on this, both at the sort of senior level within the White House, within the um, Pentagon, but very much on the ground, uh, both primarily embedded by, with, and through the IDF, but um, prepared as necessary to, as we have to do in every place around the globe, protect American lives. Most of these are dual uh, citizens, American and Israeli. Um, so we're working closely with Israel on uh, approximately a dozen of those individuals that are dual U.S.-Israeli. Um, but but as you can appreciate, as many of your listeners can appreciate, how complex this whole situation would be, even without the hostage dynamic in terms of urban warfare, the planning that goes with it, uh, Hamas having years to build deeply entrenched tunnel networks to prepare defense and depth. Uh, it's it, it's going to be really tough fighting, and uh, then you layer in the risk to hostages. So I'm very confident that we are on that in the ways that we should be. And I think that is important for people to be aware of, reassured of. And my colleagues and I are asking the hard questions about that in all of these um, discussions we're having. You know, I, I, I give you and others credit uh, because I know you're a strong supporter of Israel. I know you care about civilian loss of life. I think this is a moment for post 9-11 veterans, especially to raise their voices and experience. We've been talking to the Israelis about learning the mistakes of 9-11 and not repeating them. And I feel like at least in the first couple of weeks here, that, that, that has sunk in. And the restraint is there in part because of the American influence and because, because of the hard um, lessons we've learned. But I do feel like you know the hourglass is running out on Ukraine. And, and many in Ukraine right now are not hearing enough support from members of Congress. So straight up, as an American veteran, uh, what do you want to say to our Ukrainian allies that are on the front line in the fight right now that include some of our you know friends who are American veterans who've joined the fight in Ukraine? because they consider it the fight of our time. Number one, we are so, I am so damn proud and appreciative of how bravely and how long you all have fought. Number two, I and, and the vast preponderance, 300 plus of my colleagues in the House support you, have voted over and over and over for funding for you. And number three, I am embarrassed and outraged at my colleagues who pathetically have gotten weak need after early declarations of support and alliance and, and Ukrainian flags that are still many in my community. We have a big uh, Ukrainian-American community in my district that we're, we're proud of and have been in close coordination with. So um, I, the support is still there, but we have to fight back against some of these uh, really extreme voices that are loud and have undercut that support. I think it's incumbent on people like me and and folk, you know, the president too, to continue to make this case to the American people. Because when they hear the stakes, when they see the bravery of all those fighting and the success, the improbable and incredible success, like we have to continue to push and support until there's a, a decisive victory. Last question, then I'll let you go. I know you got to get votes and go back into the chaos. Um, you know, maybe you could go as a voice of reason for Halloween, um, but you're also in a re-election fight. I mean, this is this is how it goes. You, you, I feel like you've run more elections than anybody in America, but you, you got to run again. Um, you know, the the battlefield shaping up. I, you know, we've talked about how you won on what I think is a message that appeals to independent Americans. So let me ask you, what's your message to folks in your district who are independents specifically? Um, what's your message to them on why they should why they should vote for you for re-election? I think when you boil it all away, what's happening right now is who is on the side of two, two, which side are you on of two things? One, freedom, both in the country and around the world. Are you, as, as we're being tested in all the ways we just talked about, are you going to stand with Democratic, uh, small D Democratic allies around the world who are taking direct attacks for their commitment to freedom and democratic values? And here in this country, as we see really aggressive, extremist far-right efforts to take away reproductive rights and freedoms, take away voting rights that have actually been worse in the last few years and accelerated 
are you on the side of freedom or not? And Democrats have consistently been on the side of freedom and on the side of democracy, small d democracy in the face of uh, insurrections and so many other things. Uh, so that is really the test to me. The other thing on a more just kind of individual level is just, and I hope I behave this way, I'm certainly trying to just be an authentic person of some character, like say what you're going to do, follow through on it. No, people aren't going to agree with you on everything, but be clear about it and be consistent about it. And at the individual level, that's really been our main focus has been on that, on good constituent services, on restoring trust in the little things that we can still do. Uh, and I, I, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I, I think that still matters an awful lot. Like we just, we got some, we helped somebody recover like about $10,000 in back taxes they were owed. I don't know what party they were, but like, I'm pretty sure they appreciated that. And I hope if they come out and vote, they'll, you know, they'll they'll recognize that our team and it's really my team worked really hard for them. And, and we do that hundreds of constituent cases every week. Um, so that that matters a lot, too. It does matter. You deliver. And I, I saw that firsthand when you were Ulster County executive. And I, and I told people that. And every time they tested you on it, you delivered like I was able to tell you which power lines were down, you know, on which mountain in Ulster County on the way to Woodstock or out to Phoenicia. You always we're on top of it. And you took on some important fights, like like battling the electrical companies and, and talking about, you know, cost of living and things that matter. And I think that, like I told Pete Buttigieg a couple weeks ago, and I've told Wes Moore and others, if you are the new face of the Democrats, you are going to appeal to a lot of independents. But I think the most important part is it's you. And we need leaders who step up in this moment, who have integrity, who lead the right way. And independents will support those people, especially. But so will, will Democrats and Republicans. We're starved for leadership. Uh, and in a short time, you've really shown a lot of it, my friends. So I'm, I'm honored to know you. I'm so fucking glad it's you down there when it could have been someone else. Um, and, and, and I really am grateful to you and to your family for taking this mission on at this important time, my friend. No, th thank you, Paul. I, um, your advice at critical points, uh, never subtle, never, never in doubt of what, <laughs> what you think, uh, which I, we need it. I mean, we need real clarity, like moral clarity in this country right now. And you've been doing that in all the ways that, you know, from TV to the podcast to just the conversations we have. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate that we all still love this country and still believe in it. I mean, that's at the end of the day, what scares me and gets me down is when I feel that I don't, we're going out on patrol, right? You, you look around with your, your fellow soldiers, you know, they're in it. Like, you know, you're going to do the best you can for each other. You look around Congress right now. It's hard to feel that way. And there, there are, there are some, but we need more of, of those kind of folks um, who get it. So I think we're on the right direction, but we got to keep pushing. I remember um, a, a September 11th dinner we had on my rooftop a couple of blocks from Ground Zero. And I think there was one when you were there, Wes Moore was there, maybe Zainab Salbi was there, Daisy Khan. We had people from all backgrounds and all sides, but a lot of folks that have really been meeting this moment now. And, and I hope that maybe one day, you know, one of y'all is president and we can have a, you know, a, a dinner like that in the White House and show that unity and show that strength and and show that leadership because you Y'all are out there doing it. And you, you most of all, my friend, I appreciate it. Keep it up. Keep giving them hell. Um, we're, we're proud of you. I hope you do have a happy Halloween and your kids especially have a happy Halloween. You know, that might break the ice a little bit as everybody in Congress without getting too cute. They need to just, you know, all dress up for Halloween and go trick or treating a little bit with the kids. And, and maybe that'll help them remember their humanity and remember, you know, what it was like to get along as, as kids on Halloween. But you're a great leader, my friend. Go get them and, and stay vigilant and happy Halloween. Thanks, Paul. Helpers are out there, even in this time of chaos, especially in this time of chaos. Helpers like Pat Ryan and others are stepping up to meet the moment. So if you feel depressed, if you feel like you're lacking hope, if you feel like you're lacking inspiration, look for the helpers. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers you'll know that there's hope. 
They're out there. Please keep sharing them with me and use the hashtag look for the helpers. And go to independentamericans.us where you can learn about more helpers. And you can watch video of my conversation with Pat Ryan. If you haven't already, check out our video section. Go to our YouTube page. Be sure to subscribe there and on all social media platforms. And if you don't already, subscribe. It's free. Please hit that subscribe button wherever you are right now. And if you want to go deeper, please consider joining our Patreon community. Our Patreon members are the people who fuel this work and keep us going. They do not lack imagination or commitment. So check them out at independentamericans.us where you can also get some gear. Holidays will be here before you know it. Get some very cool, stylish, and impactful Independent Americans gear at independentamericans.us. Also, look for me in the media. I'm often going to be on KBLA Radio in Los Angeles with our friend Tavis Smiley, who's been a guest on this show. You can find that online, or if you live in the Southern California area, you can tune us in on that old school radio thing that you might have in your car. And look for me every week on Deadline White House on MSNBC with Nicole Wallace. I'm there on sometimes Wednesdays, sometimes Fridays. Check social media to find out when. And a new segment I'm going to be doing on a new show on News Nation called News Nation Now in the 3 o'clock hour on Wednesdays with Connell McShane. I'm going to break down all the latest in national security and politics and the independent movement every week. That's on News Nation. You can find it everywhere and online with Connell McShane. Check that out. And I'll post this stuff at independentamericans.us as well. I'll also post my Halloween costume. I do that every year. You're not going to want to miss it. Check it out and share yours with me. We need a little levity right now. And Halloween is a good time to remember that there are children out there that need our leadership and need our support and need our generosity. Americans are more divided than ever, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are fighting to change that, adding light to contrast the heat of all those other political shows. So if you're among the 50% of Americans who are independent, or if you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard, if you're independent curious, this is your show. Because our independent movement is hope for the future, even and especially in times like this. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, disrupting the status quo and fueling a new independent movement that our country needs now more than ever. If you like this episode with Pat Ryan, please share it far and wide and invite your friends to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. No, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. And we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for staying engaged. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. Especially now. Media.